0: Bible say about giving or generosity you might um, you might consider Malachi chapter three verses ten to twelve uh, in terms of testing God in terms of our giving. you might consider first John chapter three verses sixteen to eighteen um, acknowledging that in the Spirit of Christ who laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for one another, material possessions being uh, some part of that. You might consider uh, Acts 20, verse 35, showing generosity in, uh, in everything, more blessed to give than to receive. You might consider the conversation that Jesus has uh, in Matthew chapter 6, lots of lots of stuff in Matthew 6 about giving. Uh, You might consider Paul's admonitions related to reaping and—or sowing and reaping. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver— God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Why lead off with a conversation this morning about what does the Bible say about giving? Well, because Gallup has just released some polling data indicating that Americans are giving less right now uh, than than they ever have on record. It's in terms of the percentage of people who have donated to charitable causes in the past year, so this is not just pandemic related. This is this goes back uh, for a whole year. the 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 prior low in terms of you know how long we've been asking this question, the prior low was in two thousand and nine. Now here's what here's what's important to note. We're still talking about seventy three percent of uh, of you and everybody else. Seventy three percent of us have donated money to a charitable cause in the past year. So. Um, Although it's a historic low, seventy three percent, seventy three percent still pretty extraordinarily high in terms of those of us who are giving to others in need. Now, a couple of things to, you know, it's when you're talking about polling, it's always important to know what was asked, of whom it was asked, and about exactly what were they asking. So when we're talking about donating money to charitable activities charitable activities are we talking about just religious organizations and other charitable organizations? Yes, in this case that's the question they were asking respondents were asked about donating money and volunteering time to religious organizations and other charitable organizations and so uh, when we're talking about those types of organizations that's that's the conversation we're now having so um so let me pose this as a uh, as an observation here. <clears throat> There are probably lots of folks giving to neighbors in need, family members in need, co-workers in need, Um, and so uh, let's just acknowledge that. And then let me then let me then celebrate this for just a moment. More than two hundred of you, more than two hundred of you, stepped up to give to Faith Radio's Spring Share fundraiser last week for the very first time. Thousands of you are giving, which for which we are uh, uh, inexpressibly grateful but more than 200 of you stepped up for the very first time to uh, to support this ministry. This is listener-supported radio. If you value it um, and you did not get an opportunity to jump in last week in our Spring Share fundraiser, there is still room <laughs> for you to do so. Our fiscal year ends on uh, the last day of June, and we would love for you to become part of the support community of this listener-supported radio ministry. You can do so securely at MyFaithRadio.com. You can always call 877-933-2484 and give, or you can uh, just text the word give to 877-933-2484. We're going to talk about the charitable giving of an organization called Samaritan's Purse and the uh, less-than-grateful response they received in the most populated city in the United States of America, namely New York. That conversation up next with Matt Hawkins. We'll be right back. Matthew Hawkins is back. You can follow him on Twitter at MTHawk. All right, let me brief people in, Matt, on what we're going to talk about right now. The Speaker of the New York City Council, second most powerful elected official in America's largest city, just told a private charity group, namely Samaritan's Purse, that has been working with a private hospital that they, uh, must, uh, that Samaritan's Purse must not only leave the city, but that the hospital must, um, must suspend a relationship with the ministry just because these are evangelical Christians adhering to Christian beliefs. So yeah, uh, the pretty, direct statement is. Yeah, it's totally remarkable. The, the direct statement. This is New York City Council Speaker Corey Johnson. Again, this is a tremendously powerful political position. He said on Twitter, it's time for Samaritan's Purse to leave New York City. This group led by the notoriously bigoted hate spewing Franklin Graham came yeah. at a time when our city couldn't in good conscience turn away any offer of help. But that time has passed. Um, he goes on to um, describe Samaritan's Purse presence in New York City as a quote affront to our values of inclusion. Uh your mm. reaction.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of interesting things here. Uh, mainly sadness is uh, my main reaction. Uh, it's it's really unfortunate. Um but you know, we want to dissect this a little bit. The irony here is that Samaritan purse Samaritan's purse was dr- uh, invited in by Mount Sinai which is a historic, uh, over um, 150-year-old hospital in New York City. Uh, It was founded by Jewish charities um, around 1852. Um, And you've got Samaritan's Purse, which is uh, not unexperienced themselves. They've been around for 50 years. It was founded... World War II by an evangelist and later taken on by Franklin Graham, who uh, grew it into a multi a multi-million dollar charitable organization. They uh, do work all around the world. They receive government grants as well as being supported by, um, by Christians who support it. Um, and you've got uh, you know a cl- kind of a classic american uh, culture war clash here right you 've got a, a prominent um, if not the prominent u s coastal city governed by pro- predominantly progressive politics and a charity from america 's heartland um, it 's evangelical no less and so uh, and then they meet together in what uh, a public health crisis um, and uh, we're already in a situation where fevers run high. And, uh, people are just doing everything they can to, uh, particularly in New York city. Um, the hospital situation was, was, was really acute. Um, and to some extent still is. And so, uh, it's an all hands on deck kind of situation. And so Samaritans was happy to, uh, ship up their field hospital and help folks based in central park. Uh, it's a pretty, it was a pretty, it's a pretty cool thing to see. Um, but nevertheless, uh, all this culture stuff, um, uh, lays in the background. And eventually, uh, he didn't, he didn't try to kick him out on the front end. We notice, um, but speaker Corey Johnson, uh, who is, who is an openly gay, um, politician up in New York city, uh, doesn't like, um, Samaritan's person, particularly Franklin Graham's, uh, stance on human sexuality, um, which is what you and I recognize as a biblical view of human sexuality. Um, so this is the conflict we have. Uh, it's really unfortunate. Um, but, you know, I draw encouragement from First Peter. First uh, Peter 2, uh, 11, uh, or I'm sorry, 12. Quote, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Uh, I don't think we're promised um, that we're going to be uh, lauded and, uh, <laughs> and necessarily affirmed by our culture in the moment. Um, but the task for us is to be consistent and offer Christian charity. In this case, uh, Christian care of, of sick people um, and, and leave the rest up to God. Uh, I will, I will say, you know, we want to make sure that uh, we're being rejected for being faithful to scripture um, in, in, uh, in being consistent with scripture um, and not necessarily um, uh, partisan politics, right? Mm-hmm. And, know uh, uh, recent, recent years, uh, Mr. Graham has been, uh, you know, willing to engage, um, uh, the political space with comments and remarks, um, that, that lean partisan. Uh, I think it's f- fair to say, even apart from the Samaritan's Purse ministry, which is clearly nonpartisan. Um, and so I, I just wonder how much play there is. Um, is there, is there something to be said about, um, our, our, in the public square, particularly to politics and and partisanship, um, when we're so closely attached to a Christian medical charity, um, uh, or a charity that does a whole lot of of good for a whole lot of people. Uh, So there's one caution there. Uh, But the whole thing is uh, pretty sad. And then New York City now is trying to charge Samaritan's Purse with uh, uh, taxes, uh, because they quote, you know, did business, quote unquote, um, in their city, which is pretty, pretty (laughs) remarkable. Um, it, it's a pretty stunning uh, turnabout for a for a 501c3, I presume. It's a nonprofit organization, and then New York City. And that that's not a religious thing. That's just a governance thing. Um, you have a charity who's trying to help out in the in the context of a political or a public health crisis where your hospital system is underwhelmed, and then the city wants to turn around and then charge charge taxes on uh, people who are trying to help out for free. Right. I mean, uh, this is Samaritan's Samaritan's Purse took all this on on their own dime. And uh, it's a pretty raw deal for uh, New York City uh, to try to uh, charge them them on the back end. Yeah, tax them on the back end. So it may not be surprising. I mean, it's New York City is just a difficult place to do business because of the bureaucracy and paperwork. Uh, So you hope that will uh, iron itself out. um, But you really hope that kind of thing doesn't have to go to court.
0: Right. No, exactly. I I do feel like, um, there's a, there's a booming, um, industry among legal professionals right now, uh, finding all kinds of opportunity for themselves to, uh, to file lawsuits in the midst of all of this for just, just a myriad number of things. So I just want to just pause there for a moment. Um, the passage that came to mind, I loved, I love that you lifted up, um, the passage, um, from Peter, uh, the The passage that came to mind for me was um, just the instruction of Jesus when he sends out the twelve. Um, I'm thinking here in Luke chapter nine when he sends out the twelve and gave them, you know, power and authority, uh, not only over demons but to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Um, and then, you know, at the at at the conclusion of his instruction to them, he says, you know, whatever you know, whatever house you enter, or I guess in this case, whatever park you enter. Um, you know, stay right there, set up camp, and and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave, shake the dust <laughs> off your feet as a testimony against them. And so that's what they did. And then the very next verses of, of Luke's gospel include that Herod the Tetrarch, so, you know, a guy in charge, right, a guy in a position of really significant leadership in that day, was perplexed. Um, because of what he was observing that they were doing. Um, yeah. And, you know, and because of what was going on and he sought to see Jesus. So I guess that's my hope. I'm hoping that because of the the witness and testimony of Samaritan's Purse in Central Park during this pandemic, people will seek to see Jesus. Like that's, yeah. you know, uh, people will seek to see Jesus. I know that's at the heart of what uh, Franklin Graham and the ministry is all about. So um, let people seek to see Jesus. All right, Matt Hawkins and I got to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to change gears. And we're going to talk about um, something that, frankly, I didn't even know was possible. Apparently, after you take part of the uh, abortion, the chemical abortion regimen, you can actually reverse it. And that's apparently on the rise. Abortion pill reversals are on the rise during this pandemic. That conversation up next. (laughs) All right. Let me go ahead and confess that this next story I didn't even know was something that is possible. I'm talking with Matt Hawkins. You can find him on Twitter at mthawk, Hawk. Matthew T. Hawkins um, All right. Let's talk about this. I didn't even know mm-hmm. that uh, after a person starts this this regimen to end their pregnancy via a chemical abortion yeah. um, that they that actually can like not only be interrupted, but reversed. Talk with us yeah. about this.
2: Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll plead ignorance on, on the, on the technical stuff. Um, I, I was aware that, uh, it was possible to reverse cause I think there's uh this is a, uh, you know, it's a drug regimen that like you, like you indicated is a uh, kind of a multi-phase, probably you take multiple pills across, you know, uh, a few right. days. Um, and it can be, you know, uh, if you're not too far down the track, apparently it can be reversed. Um, which on the one hand, <laughs> praise God for medical science, uh, when folks, uh, when some folks uh, design something to uh, end end a child's life, uh, other folks can also use medical science to uh, retrieve that that baby's life. Uh, so praise God for that. Um, that's that's a good thing, and and uh, maybe we ought to make more about it and make more known about it. Um, but yeah, apparently, uh, according to New York Times and uh, World Mag- our friends at World Magazine. Um, the reversals are on the rise. So peop, uh, you have a situation where we've talked about in recent weeks during uh, the pandemic um, voluntary uh, surgical procedures like abortion um, Are largely shut down? Uh, you think you, sh- you see some of that stuff at least in our vicinity uh, around the Nashville, you know, Tennessee area uh, starting to open up again slowly, but uh, for months for weeks now um, abortion procedures have been across the country, um, uh, have, have decreased, um, just because it's a medical uh, situation and, uh, hospitals and, and clinics are taking precautions about, um, COVID, um, related concerns and that included abortion clinics. Uh, so naturally, um, uh, almost predictably if if we're thinking about it um, You know you have a situation where people are stuck at home and uh, if you're considering terminating a pregnancy uh, Your option is basically telemed at this point with a local abortion provider. Uh, there's not a whole lot they can do other than uh, do the abortion pill and uh, You have a situation where world uh, world magazines reporting, you know many uh, many mothers who who take that you know regret their decision almost immediately and so they're calling uh, their provider and uh, getting getting the reversal pill. Um, and according to this, this uh, World Magazine report, uh, um, uses of the reversal pill have doubled uh, in March uh, and April per, uh, related to previous months. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure what to make of this exactly other than, you know, I think people are – uh, we're in a public health crisis, unlike any of us have ever experienced. And these are one of these interesting nuances um, that that's like a fallout um, uh, from this. Uh, I think we need ought to be praying for uh, mothers and families who are um, are, you know, in this kind of situation where they they feel like they they're having an unexpected pregnancy and feel like they need to do something about it uh, and then terminate it and, you know, on top of the fact that they don't really have access to um, medical providers uh, abortion or otherwise um, in this crisis they're also not um, getting a whole lot of emotional support uh, from being around people who love and care for them and so right. i think the feeling of isolation right now uh, that you know mothers with unexpected pregnancies already or feel just right routinely.
0: now like right pregnancies that they just don't know how they're going to afford or manage. And I think that's right, where, right. you know, we as Christians, um, we, we need to be vocal and public about our mm-hmm. support for people who are pregnant right now. So yeah. if you're listening yeah. right now and you're pregnant um, and it was either unexpected or you're wondering whether or not in the midst of this you can afford a baby, let's just right. go ahead and acknowledge that that life is precious to God. And it's been entrusted to you as a sacred trust from God. And so let us as the people of God come alongside you. Um, If you need help and you need resources and you need to be connected with a pro-life pregnancy center in your community, text me at 877-933-2484. Email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. Reach out to a pro-life pregnancy center in your community. There is help. There are Christians ready to come alongside you right now, right where you live, to support you in the midst of this. Um, and we also recognize that there are women listening right now who have had abortions, and we have talked at length about the ministries available um, to you as well. And so if you want connection with, a, with an abortion recovery uh, ministry, those are available as well. Again, all you have to do is communicate with me, and we'll, um, and we'll get that information to you. So uh, Matt Hawkins uh, had to drop off. So I um, want to say thank you to him. Um, and we got to move to a break anyway. So we are, what are we doing next? Greg Laurie, Greg Laurie, knowing God. That's up next here on Morning with Carmen. All right, up next, Dan DeWitt. He and I are going to talk uh, about what you might read this weekend in terms of Worldview. He's going to share with us um, about one of his favorite authors, G.K. Chesterton, um, and one of his favorite G.K. Chesterton books. It's called The Ball and the Cross. What might the ball be? Look, we know the cross. What might the ball be? I'll leave that question hanging right there.
1: We'll be right back. What are your hobbies? What do you spend your Saturday afternoons doing? Now, one more question. Are you putting the same effort into connecting with your team that you're pouring into your favorite pastime? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. We all need time to rest, relax, and do the things we like best. But here's an idea. Why not do it with your team as well? Take time to find out what your son or daughter likes and do it with them. Or if you can't find some common ground, Explore a new activity together. The time you invest in your teen will be abundantly rewarding. And who knows, you just might find a new hobby. Mark Gregson is devoted to helping parents of struggling teens. For more helpful parenting resources, go to ParentingTodaysteens.org. ParentingTodaysteens.org. Or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store.
0: Joining me now, Dan DeWitt from Theolatte.com. Dan, welcome back.
1: Thanks, Carmen. Good to be back with you.
0: Okay. So um, who is G.K. Chesterton and why should I care?
1: Well, you know, G.K. Chesterton's only my favorite author. I think that's reason (laughs) enough to care. But um, because I care
0: about you, I'm going to care about him.
1: (laughs) Thank you. So his uh, initials stand for Gilbert Keith. Chesterton, and he matters because he's influential with some of the best-known apologists, living and dead. Ravi Zacharias quotes from Chesterton in most of his talks that I've listened to, and he was influential in the conversion of C.S. Lewis.
0: All right, so if I'm uh, if I'm listening to Ravi and I'm reading Lewis, knowing uh, knowing who they were listening to um, and are listening to, and repeating is important. Like, I think that's, I think this is like a layer, looking a layer back at um, uh, the people who I love and respect who, you know, who influenced them. So talk with us about this specific book, The Ball and the Cross. I teed our conversation up um, by saying, hey, we all, you know, we're all familiar with the cross. What in the world is the ball?
1: Well, so in The Weekend Worldview Reader, I always point to a book, and it's almost always a book that's come out in the last year or two. But every once in a while, for fun, I'll point to an older book. And the book, The Ball and the Cross by G.K. Chesterton, was published here in America before it was published in England. In 1909, it was published a year later in England. And um, The Ball and the Cross, the title gives the whole story. The Cross is obvious. Um, the ball is describing a worldview that sees the world as existing by and for itself. That's the ball. And so, you know, years later, not borrowing from Chesterton, but Carl Sagan described that kind of worldview by, with the word cosmos, saying that the cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. So if you think about the ball, it's a worldview that just sees the world existing by itself. Um, it contains all of its own explanations and answers. The cross, on the other hand, points us upward to how we could be reconciled to God and outward to how we could be reconciled to others. And Chesterton was trying to show that he believed that people who tried to destroy the cross end up destroying everything else. And the cross always stands the same.
0: So you've also got a... Um... Uh, a video, a YouTube video on this week 's weekend worldview reader again, you guys can find it at Theolatte.com. dot com um The YouTube video is a talk given on the book uh by an inklings scholar named Ralph Wood. Remind us about the inklings um and then uh and then talk with us a little bit about you know how how an atheist and and a person who possesses a Christian worldview can can get into a conversation um, at this level. Because I do think that that is, for most of us, our point of interest. You know, how do I talk yeah. to Larry in Kansas City, who um, believes that the world is, um, is on its own um, by and for itself?
1: Yeah. Well, the Inklings, of course, included um, there's the original group of Inklings, which were C.S. Lewis. Well, originally it was Tolkien and others. And then in in time that included C.S. Lewis. And then there were a handful of other authors, um, friends who had joined together for the exchange of ideas and the consumption of alcohol and the smoking of tobacco. Right. You know, so all those things were (laughs) happening together. And um, in, in time, it kind of as as become a way to just describe anyone who's loosely affiliated, whether or not they went to the weekly meetings at the Eagle and the Child pub in Oxford, England, or whether or not they're just connected. And G.K. Chesterton's connected there. In terms of, um, even though he never went to the meetings, in terms of, you know, how do we enter into these kind of friendships? That's really what this novel is all about. It begins with a religious man walking down Fleet Street in London, which at that time was the most influential um, real estate in terms of literature. At that time, when Chesterton was writing, Fleet Street was, to the literary world, what Wall Street is to commerce. Um, And so this man is religious. He's walking down Fleet Street. He happens upon an office of a paper called The Atheist. And he does what any thinking person would do. He throws his walking stick through the picture window at the front of the office because he's angry reading the headlines that are blasphemous and jumps inside, demands to meet with the editor. They square off to have a duel, a good old fashioned duel, and are arrested. Um, The rest of the novel is about how they keep trying to find some nice, quiet place where they could kill each other because they both believe their worldviews are true and they're ready to fight for them. And every time they're about to fight, the cops show up and arrest them so they're always kind of running around trying to fight and by the end of the novel they're they're close friends and they're both locked in an insane asylum.
0: All right, so um I want to lift up a lift up a quote here from The Ball and the Cross. Um I first of all, I think it's important, you know, to you you mentioned this just now, but um it's important to note, like this is a novel. Like right? This is um. This is a summer read. This is, a, this is not hard reading. This is joyful reading. It's very engaging. Here's a quote from G.K. Chesterton's The Ball and the Cross. The church always seems to be behind the times when it is really beyond the times. Hmm. I'm just teeing you up, man. That's all I'm doing. I'm setting the ball <laughs> on the tee, and I'm just going to let you take a whack.
1: Yeah, so Chesterton's trying to show how eventually if you live for the world— it erodes all the things that matter to you. And so this idea of people who try to destroy the cross really end up destroying everything but the cross, And which is also interesting in terms of religious liberalism. Often you have people who are trying to save Christianity by adapting it to the times and making it more socially acceptable, and what they inevitably do is they end up losing faith and they never save Christianity because Christianity doesn't need to be saved. It's it, Christianity is what saves. And so, in that quote, Chesterton's demonstrating that what will stand the test of time is the reality of a God who has revealed Himself. And so, when it comes to building friendships with people who hold very different worldviews, I think we should all be empathetic. Chesterton himself, before he became a Christian, became a nihilist. He accepted the philosophy that the world has no objective meaning or purpose. And it was in that despair that he experienced the hope of the cross. And so in this novel, it's demonstrating how two people with radically different worldviews can have meaningful conversations, even um, even when they're diametrically opposed in terms of their ideas.
0: Um, I, love, um, I love that you've brought us a novel this week in the Weekend Worldview Reader. Um, I know that today, um, there will be a person who does not possess a Christian worldview, um, or at least not distinctively so, delivering a virtual commencement address via Facebook mm-hmm. that tens of millions of people are anticipated to um, to log on to. That would be Oprah Winfrey. She's going to mm-hmm. give the national uh, college senior uh, commencement address today um, on Facebook, and tomorrow CNN is going to mm-hmm. feature a webcast of a public teaching by the Dalai Lama. Uh, when we come back, I would love for you to talk with us um, about the fact that, you know, although published in 1909, um, the ball and the cross is fresh and um, relevant to the conversations that we are having in the world today or maybe the conversations that we aren't having but we must mm-hmm. be having With the skeptics of our generation. So, that conversation up next with Professor Dan DeWitt. You can um, check out what we're talking about at the Weekend Worldview Reader, which you will find at Theolatte.com. We'll be right back. in 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 whom do you trust? Who do you trust to tell you the truth? Um, what is the truth? How do you know all of those are relevant conversations for the days in which we live. People are trusting in all kinds of things today, Dan, and um, we want to at least redirect Christians to the kinds of talking points that each and every one of us might turn to in in conversations that God might set up for us right so we 're talking about divine appointments we 're talking about how I enter into a conversation when God provides the opportunity with a person who um, really believes that the world is all there is, that this life is all there is, that there is nothing beyond the borders and boundaries. And so I look at the headlines of the day and I think, well, you know, we got these conversations about UFOs going on. We've got um, people like Oprah Winfrey and the Dalai Lama um, certainly being platformed. Um, by major media in terms of the worldview that they are offering, Um, Christians have a worldview as well. So let's just talk about um, some of the ways that you would encourage Christians to enter into conversations with skeptics.
1: Well, yeah, Chesterton once said something to the effect of the Christian is expected to praise every creed except for his own. And how true is that today, that we could celebrate every worldview except for the Christian faith? And I think sometimes Christians are reluctant to step into that space and share the message of Jesus because they feel like it's narrow-minded. And we have to be reminded that, first of all, um, as someone who believes that there's something more than the world, that's actually the majority opinion, so it's not narrow-minded to say that there's something more than nature. It's actually the minority opinion, the atheistic worldview. I don't say that to trivialize it or in any way to make fun of it, but it's not narrow-minded to say that you you, you think that all people who believe there's something more than nature, that you agree with them. Um, furthermore, Christianity is actually the world's largest religion. So to step in and say, I believe Jesus is the way we can have forgiveness is not narrow-minded in that sense. And so what we have to do, though, I would I would still want to preface all that, because that could lead towards kind of an arrogance, where you know, we're a part of the biggest religion, atheists are the minority, and, and say, begin with empathy and recognize that it's difficult to believe what you cannot see, and Jesus even spoke to that with Thomas and the disciples, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe, and so empathize, listen, and then be willing to share in love what you believe to be true, and that's that God exists, and He's revealed Himself in history in the person of Jesus Christ.
0: All right, Dan, I'm um, I'm marking this this quote by Chesterton because I I think that that is so relevant for today. Um, I think that one of the things that I'm mindful of is that the cross and the message of the cross, the cosmos, the gospel cosmology, right, the redemptive mm. cosmology does not change. And so um, the statements of a Christian in 1909 in a novel are relevant today because this is the truth. It's it's true. It's true truth. Talk with us about the truth today. And, hmm. um, and even just surfacing that word or that language with a person who has abandoned the truth— um, in favor of everyone imagining a reality for themselves.
1: Yeah, it's such a, a wonderful, precious reality. The cross still stands. Everything may be crumbling around it, but the cross still stands and will always stand. Uh, one of the lines in Chesterton's novel that I just love, at the beginning, he says, there there are two ways of getting home, and one of them is to stay there. The other is to go around the entire world until you come back to the same place. And I think for some people they have to go around the entire world before they come back to the same place. Um C. S. Lewis certainly did that. He describes that in his spiritual um his own novel, his allegorical work, The Pilgrims Regress of how he tried every kind of different worldview and philosophy and eventually came back to the cross. And so as you enter into conversations today, recognize some people are going to have to go around the whole world so they come back to the same place. The fact that they're rejecting Christianity now doesn't mean there's not a nagging within their soul, a reality that God has written on their heart, an eternity that God has placed in their soul um, that's reminding them that he loves them, he is real. And there's something happened in history 2,000 years ago. It seems like God really left footprints in Palestine. Something happened. It's revolutionized the world. And that it's a cross, um, as Chesterton noted, that no matter how much men may try, they can't tear it down. And so Stand for this truth, but speak the truth in love. We don't need jerks for Jesus. We don't need people who are unnecessarily edgy or controversial. Um, listen, love, and speak the truth.
0: Yeah, it's okay to be considered boring.
1: Yeah,
0: right. Um, and so I think I had a recent conversation with a friend who, um, uh, you know, I was advocating in the in a talk that I gave at Christian Leadership Alliance last week. I was. I mean, again, online, right? you you don't even know if you're talking to anybody. But, um, <laughs> uh, but this new reality. Um, but but I was advocating that you know Christians go be shiny, like that you need to be the person that um, that fills a room with light, like you mm-hmm. you are. There is a responsibility for the Christian to um to draw people's attention, um, and and yet I certainly do not mean that. Um, in the same way that Lady Gaga draws attention to herself when mm. she enters a room, right? So there's a there's a gobi shine and that's not a criticism of her. That's just an observation that she enters a room in a far different way than I do. Okay. So mm. um what does it, you know, what does it look like to be a person of light in a world that is often dark? Um, And I don't want to say necessarily increasingly dark. I think sometimes it feels that way. But the world's no darker today than it was on the day that Jesus died. Like, let's just be really clear. There's no darker hour than the hours in which the sun was blotted out. So, Mm. um, you know, and so when we grieve the reality uh, of our day, let us, you know, let us be very, very clear that the cross is... Uh, it is where all of this is triumphed over. That was a poorly constructed sentence, but I think you know what I mean.
1: <laughs> no, I totally get it. And it, that's right. We don't, you know, I, I think sometimes Christians and working in a college student or at a college campus with students, you find students who are trying to struggling with, is my personality a Christian kind of personality? Or am I, you know, acting in such a way that, not what I'm, the the content of what I'm speaking, but the way I'm sharing it? Am I making sure that that's Christian? Well, those are all good questions to ask, But um, and important. We want to make sure we're, as I've said, speaking the truth in love, but God's going to use you, who you are. Don't try and be someone else. And at times it may seem like you're really boring in comparison to the world, but the steadiness that comes from our faith in Jesus, and as we're transparent enough to say yes, I'm going crazy in quarantine, and I'm struggling with anxiety or depression or whatever. But in the midst of all those things, I have a center. Um, I have something that gives me hope and purpose. That's what I think it looks like to share Jesus, to be authentic about what's going on. We're not better than other people. We're going to be who God's created us to be. We're not trying to be someone else. But we're always going to come back to the simple reality that we believe God's in control of these things and that God loves us so much he didn't even spare his own son what great love the love of the father has for his children
0: so dan when um when we are tempted to despair in the midst of what's going on in the world um give us as we enter into this weekend the certainty of hope
1: the certainty of hope is that at the when everything is written and history is over that the suffering we experience here will not compare in any way to the glory that is yet to be revealed in eternity, in Christ, in the Father's presence. And so hold fast, knowing that as my mom used to say, and forgive me if this isn't apropos for error, my mom used to say, life sucks. What are you going to do about it? But what you do about it is who you are. And as Christians, life is hard. Um, we can't do anything about it, but we believe God can, and we want that truth to sustain us, even when life is really, really difficult. We have a center. The cross still stands, and it always will stand.
0: Amen. Um, we stand uh, We stand with one another at the foot of the cross, um, and I couldn't be more delighted nor privileged than to have a brother in Christ like you. So, thanks, man, uh, thanks, for Carmen. joining us. Thanks for what you do every single day, you guys need to check out the Weekend Worldview Reader. You can actually uh, get a link to the Chesterton book that we talked about. Um, there's even an, a free audio version out there. So um, all kinds of great links in Dan's Weekend Worldview leader, Reader, Excuse me, which he is a Weekend Worldview Leader, but the Weekend <laughs> Worldview Reader is what you're looking for, and you're going to find it at Theolatte.com. We'll be right back. All right. For those of you uh, who are online and scrolling Twitter this morning, you already know there was a powerful earthquake uh, in western Nevada um, today. Let us be praying for, uh, for folks there. The only good news is it's a particularly remote part of our country. We've got another hour up next of Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.